Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 631. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I am Angelique Rocher. Hi, Angelique Rocher. Hi, Ryan Panagos. Are you ready? I'm always ready to talk to you. Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good, good. We're going to talk about Marvel, because this is the official Marvel podcast where we get to talk about all the things happening this week in Marvel. And I think like a big dose of toys and games and TV shows and movies and comics. Yes, but you said toys, which is very cool because later in the show, we're talking with Jesper Nielsen, who is the creative lead senior design manager at Lego uh, and sort of like this big, wonderful idea uh, maker and cheerleader for everything Marvel and Lego. We're going to talk to Jesper about the brand new Lego Marvel's Avengers Tower set, which Y'all. It's so beautiful. It's amazing. It's so pretty. I have nowhere to put this, but I might have to find somewhere. Uh, The Game Awards is next week, so make sure. I know we've already kind of mentioned it, but don't mm-hmm. forget to visit mm-hmm. thegameawards.com and vote for Marvel's Spider-Man 2 in the seven, seven categories it's nominated for, including... Game of the year. And make sure you tune in to the stream December 7th to see the show and cheer on the Spider-Men. Yay. Good luck. Yeah, go vote. Go vote. TheGameAwards.com. Vote like a million times. Although you can only vote once. Do it. Do it. We're getting a new Ms. Marvel series next year. We're going to get Ms. Marvel Mutant Menace which is very cool. This March, uh, following their acclaimed work in Ms. Marvel, The New Mutant, Iman Vellani and Sabra Perzada continue Ms. Marvel's X-Men journey in this all-new series. It's a four-issue limited series that will continue to cement Ms. Marvel's role in the X-Men mythos, while also, of course, of course, making sure we they, they respect and stay true to the character's roots and celebrating what makes her one of the goats in the Marvel Universe, one of those standout heroes. Um, this is this is great because it's it's like the ongoing adventure um, uh, that she is on. You know, her life as one of Marvel's greatest heroes is still going to be in Jersey City. She'll still have to confront all the the important problems of her life, but maybe some other Fall of X related things. You know show their head in this series. It's going to have Ms. Marvel in contact with more X-Men as well as X-Men villains. It's going to reunite her with key supporting players of her own, including a fan favorite X. (gasps) Put your guesses out there. We'll see in March. Um, And so we're going to, of course, we mentioned the writers, uh, Amon Vellani and Sabra Perzada. They will be joined by artist Scott Godlewski, who made his Marvel debut in the recent Alpha Flight series. And then artist Carlos Gomez, who did a lot of the interiors for the uh, Ms. Marvel New Mutant series, will be on covers. Of course, we'll have lots more news for this series as we uh, get ready for its launch in March. Stay tuned to Marvel.com. You know, Ryan. Yeah. You know what I think sometimes? What do you think sometimes? Being a superhero must be rough. You're welcome. <laughs> well done. Uh, and that is why Marvel Mutts is so near and dear to my heart. No, but seriously, join Marvel's mightiest mutts in their very own Friday Funnies Infinity comic. Also, 
Friday Funnies. Come on. Uh, Issue one is out now. And here to talk more about the series is the one, the only writer, Mackenzie Cadenhead. Mackenzie, you are no stranger to Marvel. You uh, you started at Marvel as an actual edit in, in the editing space. Um, I, I want to kind of start from the beginning because you love books, you love reading. Um, now you do it for a living. What is your Marvel origin story? I started at Marvel quite some time ago as an editor. Um, I worked with C.B. Cebulski in. Uh, and Nick Lowe in the Ultimates office. And then CB and I sort of went off and started doing the all ages comics and the new character stuff. We did Runaways. We did Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, um, Spellbinders. We had a great new Warriors run with Zeb Wells and Scotty Young. Uh, And then after that, when I left Marvel, I started writing children's books. And as happens often with Marvel, once you're a part of the Marvel world, you can't escape it. And uh, so CB got in touch with me. I, well, I've written children's books for Marvel um, and animated stuff for Marvel. And then uh, CB reached out to me over the summer and said, hey, you know the Friday Funnies? Do you want to write Marvel Mutts? And it was the quickest yes I've probably ever said to anything because dogs and Marvel is pretty much all I need. Uh, and I want to take a step back because you are a proud, proud dog mom. I am. Of two of the most adorable dogs. Thank you. Holly yes. Jolly and Mittens. Holly Jolly and Mittens. And actually my first dog who I had when I was uh, editing at Marvel Smudge is already a dog in the Marvel Universe. Uh, she was in a few issues of, she was in an issue of Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. And then at some point, I think it was Sean McKeever and Mike Norton put her into a Pet Avengers thing as Lockjaw's girlfriend. So we have a long history of my dogs being a part of the Marvel Universe. And um, Mittens and Holly are actually part of Marvel Mutts as well. And what's funny is when... Mark Panicha came on as my editor. We were talking about well, how do we want to do this? What do we want to do for Marvel Mutts? And I just sort of said, what if we did an every dog character to kind of get us into this? And he said, how about Mittens? Because my dog Mittens is a total diva. I mean, she is a star. And so she, in the best possible sense, by the way, we mean diva in the best way here. Um, and so she is the sort of, she's the main mutt in the Marvel Mutts uh, Friday Funny series that we have going on. Tell us a little bit about what Marvel Mutts really, like, really is. Like, what is this exactly? So, in, you know, in the tradition of Marvel Meow and It's Jeff, which I love both of them, um, it's really, we're telling fun, all-ages stories about what the dogs get up to in the Marvel universe. And uh, we have, you know, some of our, our humans, they're humans, I should say, the the Mutt's humans. Uh, Ms. Marvel is their main human and America Chavez. And then you'll see some other characters pop up. Um, and it's really the situations they get into, the little, their brief little 
vignettes, little stories about their adventures. And we've got some super powered mutts, uh, but it's really about the dynamic between the dogs. And it's just fun. Like I have to say it is, it's just been joyful to write because you really can't be in a bad mood when you're telling dog stories. If it's about, you know, dropping something in their mouths that they won't let go of. Um, many of these stories are based on my own experience with Holly and Mittens. Um, and I should say, I felt a little bad because Mittens was like getting all this attention and there was so much artwork about her. And I thought, oh, what are we going to do? And we had this idea. Every issue has a little, where's Holly looking find? So she pops up in each issue. Um, again, you know, I write children's books, so look and finds are always a favorite. So there's there's little activities for our readers to find Holly every issue. Let us know if you find her. I wish everyone could see this sheer look of joy on my face. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I got to say, I like the fact that you added there are superpowered dogs oh, that are involved. So are we going to see Lockjaw? Or oh, yes. Are we going to see Pizza Dog? Like, yep. So we've you'll starting with the second issue, the pack comes together. Uh, our first issue is called meet cute. And it's, uh, it's the origin story of mittens and Ms. Marvel meeting each other. And then the second issue, the pack, uh, really, you know, it's will mittens be welcomed into the pack of Lockjaw and lucky and, um, Cosmo and maybe even bats. So cute. I'm really excited. Thank you, Mackenzie. This was amazing. Thank you. It was so great to talk with you. I always enjoy it so much. Check out Marvel Mutts number one today on Marvel Unlimited. Max the best. This week, I'll tell you about what's happening in Marvel Move, our audio storytelling fitness experience, which you can download and play in the ZRX app on iOS and Android. We've got two new episodes for you this week. Episode 15 of Thor and Loki Trials of the Ten Realms. It's called The Shaman's Daughter. And you are you actually have a, an unlikely ally in this one who is a frost giant. It's um, it's pretty cool because the frost giant's like, you're like murderers of our people to Thor and Loki. And Thor and Loki are like, you're a frost giant. So it's a lot of fun back and forth with all that stuff. And you're really just trying to figure out what's going on with the realms and how Jotunheim factors into all of that. And then we have our second episode of Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch in Dreams. This one is called The Spinning Wheel. And it is uh, this is a wild series. It's a short one, five or so episodes. And this one starts to, you get to see a little bit more. And this does bring Wanda deeper into the story as she has to help out Strange. Because, like, come on, Stephen always needs Wanda's help. Um, you know who's not going to be spinning their wheels? Johnny Blaze, <laughs> who is going to be taking his final ride before a new spirit of vengeance takes over in a new ghostwriter Final Vengeance. That's right. This March, a new ghostwriter will set to the roads of the Marvel Universe and set him ablaze in <laughs> Ghostwriter Final Vengeance. Uh, this is continuing Benjamin Percy's acclaimed and thought-provoking work on the Ghostwriter mythos. Uh, the new series will see the spirit of vengeance fall into the wrong hands, and fans won't believe who it is. I want all the guesses. It's me. It, is it? Oh, no. Yep. It's a oh, bad no. choice for everyone. It's a terrible choice. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Now, 
because Ryan, um, Johnny Blaze must embark on an epic quest to become ghostwriter again before the newly possessed uses its demonic power for a dark purpose. Yeah, that sounds like Benjamin Percy. Yeah. Uh, joining Percy on his latest hell ride will be Marvel newcomer Danny Kim, known for his work on last month's Ghostwriter Annual Number One. And you can check out Greg Capullo's cover for Ghostwriter Final Vengeance Number One now over on Marvel.com and stay tuned for the reveal of the new Ghost Rider in the upcoming weeks. And again, for more information to see those covers and obviously to read all the incredible work and see all the incredible work of folks we mentioned, head over to Marvel.com. Yo, I just, I'm so happy Capullo's doing work for us again. It's been way too long. He's so freaking good. Oh, Speaking beautiful. of somebody who is back too. Yeah, someone who's also amazing and wonderful and back doing cool stuff. We have Rodney Barnes here to talk with us about Luke Cage Gang War number one. The first issue is out this week, and uh, we, we want to get some insight into Luke's involvement in this big crossover event. So, Rodney, thank you for joining us. But what does that mean for our hero, Luke Cage, and his current status quo? Where do you pick him up in this series? Well, he is the mayor of New York, and he's sort of... Uh, caught in the middle of things. You know, there's an anti-vigilante act in place in New York where our regular superheroes of New York can't come in and do their superheroing type stuff, including him. So, but the city needs that type of firepower because the cops, NYPD, are outgunned. So what can he do? You know, he's a public official now, so he's supposed to be an example of following the law. But... The city needs power man, Luke Cage, you know, so what does he do? Uh, there's a great moment in the in that first issue where, like, things are going wild and he's just like, and he like, rips his shirt off and it's awesome, Luke Cage thing. And, but, and the officer there is just like, please, sir, you cannot do this. You are literally breaking the law. And like, and Luke is just, you could tell the tenseness and he's just like, you're right. I got to be better. I got to do it. Uh, like you feel all those emotions that Luke is going through in that time. And just those couple of panels, it was just great comic booking right there. Thank you. Thank you. you you've obviously been in writer's rooms and, and in comics aplenty. Um, but what what is it like coordinating a major character such as Luke in a big event story like Gang War? You know, we've got multiple comics and multiple series and tons of characters. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, in the beginning, a lot of other creators came in and we had like a big Zoom meeting as to how all of the pieces would come together. And then along the way, I'll get an email saying, remember that thing you wanted to do in issue three? Can't do it. <laughs> you know, so but it feels like, um, you know, like you said, I'm used to being in writer's rooms for television. So it sort of feels like that, like um things move around and pivot from time to time, but in a really cool way. It's um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I would love it if we could go a little bit more into the anti-vigilante law. You know, obviously you mentioned he's mayor of the greatest city on earth. Uh, like how how is that affecting him emotionally, physically, mentally? And, and really, how does that drive the story? Yeah, I mean, I think it really speaks to him as a public official. He identifies more with being a superhero. That's what he's been since we we met him as a superhero, and he's been that ever since. And now he's a public official. And I think emotionally it plays on 
can I fix things from the inside when I'm so used to doing things from the outside? And so I believe at the end of this series, it really is more about who is he going to be as mayor going forward? Or who is he going to be as Luke Cage going forward? Is he going to be this public official? Is he going to find a middle ground? What's he going to be? You called him Power Man, which I love. Um, yes. Like, who, who is Luke Cage to you? It will always be the work of Billy Graham, artist Billy Graham, who did those early issues of Luke Cage. I mean, I loved his work. In my mind, that's who Luke Cage will always be. Those books in the beginning, when I was a kid, that was Luke Cage to me, the sweet Christmas guy with the headband <laughs> and the um, blue and uh, yellow. That was my Luke Cage. And watching the various iterations of, you know, I guess when he lost his hair, he decided to shave and, you know, he started becoming cool and like a ladies <laughs> man. And, you know, um, that's I've watched the evolution and it's so much fun to be a part of this aspect of him. But um but yeah, I, I think he will always be in the back of my mind, the sweet Christmas guy. Hell yeah. Uh, you know, there, in this, uh, I've only read the first issue so far, but I, I really enjoyed it. And there are some characters I really enjoyed in there that they helped Luke on his his quest in the first issue. Um, can you give us a little info on Luke's supporting cast in the story, including Handsome Holmes, which I was like, who's this dude? I want more of him. And <laughs> truly the best Miss Estelle. Like if I if, if we were like, we're getting a five issue Miss Estelle series of her just commenting on stuff, I'm here for it. Thank you. I mean, I think that there's a thing where, um, you know, Luke's made some relationships along the way in regards to uh, just regular folk. You know, he's been a street level hero for a long time. So it would stand the reason that he would meet people along the way that he could come back and revisit when there are problems on the street. I mean, he doesn't have his ear to the ground in the same way that he did when he was, you know, the Luke Cage from the Harlem days. But he still has those relationships. And so... You know, on the superhero side, there is um, Cloak and Dagger. Uh, there's his wife, Jessica Jones. There's Danny Rand. Uh, then there are a couple of other people that you just mentioned that come along and just give us an idea that there's still a relationship to the rank and file folk um, on the streets of New York that help out. Uh, within this story and, and tied to uh, Miss Estelle's role and, and helping him sort of find a new look, Luke gets a new look in here, a rare for him superhero masked outfit. It feels like that's how we know things are serious for Luke. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it goes back to that first aspect of how can he make some type of compromise. At the end of the day, the thing that matters most to him is the safety of the city and the people. That's the thing that drives him to be a superhero. That's the thing that drove him to be a public official. At the end of the day, it's the people. So whatever the people need, he's going to figure out a way to be a part of that. And I don't think he's very much a um, a guy who stands on the sidelines. So whatever it takes for him to engage in some way without me giving it completely away, um, he's going to engage in some way. It's got to be fun to to see the art come in, see Ramon, you know, come up with like this look and, and, and get a, a feel for Luke in, in a, a kind of like a, a new iteration for him. Yeah, big time. I mean, I think, again, for just to have a moment, you think of the different costumes, like I said, the yellow, the disco one that he had in the beginning with the headband and the sh open shirt and the uh, the blue tights. It's like every season, it seems like he gets some new look in some way. So to have this be a part of, you know, the pantheon of looks for Luke Cage is sort of an honor. So there, there you go. go. 
Um, all right. I know, I know you like to keep things close to the vest, as you've said, but what can you tease for the next few issues as we, we roll through Gang War? The stakes get bigger. I think there are a couple of surprises that come in that one day could be sitting on my desk. It's a lot of fun things. And you're like, what does that mean? There's a lot of new fun inventions that I think are going to come into this series that um, Lord willing will live on uh, in, in the Luke Cage uh, universe. So it's a lot of fun. Let's just say Love it. Love it. Awesome. All right. Luke Cage Gang War number one on sale November 29th. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Mayor Luke Cage has got a lot to deal with this week. So and, much. Uh, I think that's a perfect way to segue into our new comics this week, the picks this week. Gang War has started. I'm sorry. I'm so excited. It started. I've been waiting so long for this, and I just... It, it, gang War is coming for you. Uh, Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man, Gang War First Strike, Luke Cage, Gang War number one, Spider-Woman number one. Like, it's look, just go get it. Yeah, the, we're cheating a little bit here. I, I, I've chosen the three Gang War issues as one pick. It starts out in Amazing Spider-Man, Gang War First Strike, which is awesome. It sets up everything, gives you the players, gives you the direction that everything is going in. And then right into that, you can read Luke Cage, Gang War number one, and Spider-Woman, Gang War number one. Uh, we just talked about Luke a little bit with writer Rodney Barnes, um, and Spider-Woman is awesome. It gives a, a new direction, a big mission, and uh, some people to get punched in the face by our favorite Jessica Drew. So those are, I'm, I'm counting them as one, but those are three books out this week. Then Marvel Zombies, Black, White, and Blood, number two, holy moly, it's going to crush you in all the best ways. There's a, a wonderful Warpath story with X-Force that gives you lots of cool 90s vibes with um, really beautiful Wangedian art, the, the main story, which is a Fantastic Four story. <laughs> so much. Oh my gosh. It's so good. Uh, and plenty more in there. Beautiful covers for that too. And then rounding off the picks, X-Men Blue Origins number one. Uh, this one is a huge one. Huge, 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 huge. If you are a fan of Mystique and or Destiny and or Nightcrawler. It um, it, it changes uh, a bunch of things, but really like sets things up and moves them forward. And it's really sweet. And I love it so much. And uh, I just want to give all of them hugs. Uh, I will just leave that there. Go read those. Those are my picks. Oh, that being said, there's a whole lot more comics. Please make sure you go check them out. But coming up, uh, we are joined by Jesper Nielsen to talk about the new Lego Marvel's Avengers Tower. Oh, it's so gorgeous. We'll be right back. Y'all, you're listening to This Week in Marvel, and I'm Ryan Panagos. And I am Angelique Roche. We're mm -hmm. back. We are back, and it is time for our interview of the show. Again, it's with Jasper Nielsen, who is Lego Marvel's Avengers, uh, who has helped usher in one of the greatest pieces of Marvel anything. It's a massive three-foot tall lego marvel's avengers tower it is available now on lego.com uh let's get into the nuts and bolts the behind the scenes the cool stories of how this came together with jasper nielsen right now all right it's time for a bricktastic 
chat here on the show because we are joined by Jesper Nielsen, Creative Lead, Senior Design Manager at Lego. Hello, Jesper. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Doing terrific. So um, before we get into the greatest, biggest, most gigantic Lego set of all time, I want to know, what is your Marvel origin story? Were you a Marvel fan when you were growing up? Did you come in from comics or from movies or from your work? Actually, from comics, I'm 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 ancient. So you can say <laughs> what I what I read was in Danish. It was called uh, the Spider Man was not called Spider Man. It was called Illocopen, which just means spider. And, and then I I read uh, Shang Chi in a magazine called uh, it was called Kung Fu something. And I think that's probably the first Marvel introduction that I've had, but that's a long time ago. Obviously, we're New York-based or um, U.S.-based, and I, but I talk to a lot of folks in the U.K. and get a lot of perspective on how they got comics. What was the what was it like to get comics? Did you were, how were they delivered to you back then? Uh, you could say at that point, I bought them bulked and 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 used, and that that's actually it. So it was an interest I shared with a, a few friends. I had to cycle what uh, five to seven kilometers to get to the, sh- the shop that actually had them. Yeah. So, so when we were not tying each other up and playing uh, Cowboys <laughs> and Indians and stuff like that, we read comics. That's amazing. Obviously, comics have then been with you for a long time. What about Lego? Tell us about um, you know your your history with Lego and then also your role at Lego and and kind of what you do. My role at Lego is that everything that has something to do with Marvel uh, that that that. That crosses my table, so to mm-hmm. say. So, so I've got a team of super creative people that I actually bringing all of the toys to life. So you could say it's a bit like I'm I'm working in Santa's workshop. I, I'm <laughs> I'm one of the elves, but one of the elves that does mostly blah blah blah, and then someone else does the real work. <laughs> I was first employed in the mid '90s. Was it always with uh, on Marvel, or is the the Marvel thing sort of been where you you've been for for the last bunch of years? No, it's not always with, uh, in Marvel. You say originally I was hired into do uh, space toys, so classic Lego space uh, things was where I started, and then I've done different things on the way as well. Do you remember the first Marvel project you did with Lego? Yeah, the first one was actually uh, uh, finalizing the Infinity Saga models because at that point I just stepped in. To, to the role that I've got now. Uh, so, so, so yeah, I remember that pretty well. You could say we've got a super good relationship with the guys on your side uh, on consumer products, but, but to me, it was super new to work that closely with Marvel. There's so much cool stuff uh, that, that you guys work with Marvel on, um, but we are finally able to talk about the Avengers Tower set. Now, can you tell us how this magnificent mammoth set came to be? But... But I think this pretty much shows, uh, I think, the, the love for Marvel. Because that that product was actually designed as a passion product originally by some of the guys in their spare time. Uh, and actually, several years ago, even before I, jo- I joined the team, so it was standing in in the area. And then we we're just looking at it and say, it, 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 it seems wrong not to do this. <laughs> and then eventually we persuaded someone else to actually say that this is this is the thing we need to do. And and you say that that, that that probably also shows what it is. The Avengers Tower here, it's a love letter to 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 Marvel. That and and that's that's what it is. It is a passion project. That's how it started. And I think that's also what fueled it on the way. 
I love that. So, I and I think that that's sort of the beauty of Lego that it you know you can be so creative and just start building something based on all the pieces. So it it truly just started out as as something the team was yes. putting together yes. on their. Oh. I, I would I would love if I could claim that it, it's purely <laughs> my idea and I. But but honestly, no. It started as a passion. Someone had a good idea. Someone else went along with it, and then then we actually stepped back and looked at it and then it, it took a few years for that to mature and get all of the organization behind it but but that that's how it started can you tell us the kind of steps that it takes to actually bring something like that to life you could say we go through a lot of different uh, decision gates where we are showing what is it we intend to do and then of course we loop in with our counterparts at marvel as well so it, it, it theoretically they could have had an opinion on whether we should do the Avengers Tower. <laughs> Luckily, they loved it. But 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 you can say they, are, of course, have a, a call to make whether they think it's a good idea. And then we start from an, an idea. And at this point, it was actually a, a built sketch uh, that, that felt like it was way too big and, and probably super unrealistic. But actually, we ended up with something that has that super unrealistic <laughs> size. <laughs> so 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 we ended up actually matching the dream which we thought was out of scope when we started. Uh, then then what it is is that we from that sketch we try to make it buildable in a way where yeah kids and adults can build this together uh, because when it's just a sketch we go a bit faster. So not everything is 100% aligned and we've got a super fine-tuned system that we want to be able to to, to even out. So the math has to stack up as well. And then we just start building it for real. Then it goes through to secure that we don't miss anything. We get a, a second pair of eyes in to that process to build it with us. And the guys that are developing the building instruction, we get them to build it through with us. Then the odd thing that you probably don't know is that then, then we take that model and then we bake it in an oven and that's that's to simulate what can actually happen with stress over time for the legal product so we make sure that it it could if you left it in your window that it will still work that that's that's purely it and then if if that shows and of course that's in a it's a super aggressive test <laughs> so so that shows any weak point and then we go in and then we say okay there's a weak point here now we've spotted that. How can we make that stronger? How can we make that actually um, add up in the in the final product? Now, obviously, there's a bunch of floors and different things. Was there a lot of like back and forth? Like, no, we need this. Oh, we gotta have this. Oh, no. It there, there, there was a ton. There, there was a ton of ideas, and you say uh, designers are, are, are filled to the brim with ideas. Uh, one of the ones we didn't make was one of the guys was suggesting to do a giant toilet for Hulk, <laughs> so he would be able to actually find the toilet within the the building. We we weeded that out in the process, <laughs> more because it becomes such an odd discussion to have with uh, with you guys. Of we made sure that there was a huge toilet in in, in one of the floors, and and, and yeah, that didn't quite cut it to to what we believe was the most iconic th scenes, and and that and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to fill it to the brim with references that people that people can recognize. So, so it, it it feels like a familiar, it, a familiar house to to step mm -hmm. into. 
Um, uh, with that in mind, can you walk us through some of the, the, the those really specific parts of the building that that you know you you guys are most proud of? What makes this design so unique? Uh, I, I think this is the most window pieces in a Lego yeah, set. Yeah, it, it is the most uh, window pieces. We also had to make a, a new element for some of the windows to make make sure that we we could actually build it up. I think it it sounds so silly to say it. I, I think it's the full thing for me that is actually the most impressive uh the the most impressive bit because actually it uh, of course every time we try to make a toy you can say it is a translation of an idea into legal form so is this a hundred percent like the tower no it's not but we're trying to capture the essence and also to capture some of the curvature that is on that building that are actually they're, they're not the if we had decided from the beginning, we would have chosen something a bit more squarish because it's so much easier for us to do. But I think that that's that's probably what I I think we succeed. Oh, the guys succeeded with uh, super well by actually making a, a a total front of this that becomes almost a door you can open or you can pull off and then just lean it towards the building. Uh, I think that's a super smart solution for something we almost can't build. Was that the most challenging part of, of the build? I think that it, that and then the fact that it is so uh, massive, that just the size means that whenever we we sit together to build stuff like that, to get it, it just takes a lot of time uh, to build through it and to make sure that you are, that you're still alive <laughs> and awake at the end of it. Is that just something you all have have sort of observed and figured out over years of building? I, I think it is. It, it's it's something that comes with yeah. experience. That that some of these guys have been doing a a ton of different sets, and then of course we've got a whole department that is uh, trying to force us to see all of the things that we 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 would skip because we know, and and to actually see the mistakes that are possible on the route. So as as the the team is is building this and, and formulating it, I, I also think about the sort of the booklet that comes with this, right? And how important that is to those of us. It's extremely who, who important. Put this together. How does that work in tandem, or does it come afterwards? How does that? How does the formulation? Of it come. It comes mm -hmm. after. You say how it works is that we we start with doing the model that is then matured, but it is basically we are trying to get the guys that then make that booklet in the room, an expert that is supposed to be a, a fresh pair of eyes, and then the designers. And then we go through and say, how is the best flow to actually do this? And then after that, they then develop the full book. Then that's sent out actually twice to be built again to see, is there something that is counterintuitive? Again, to try to find the things where, where, where we tend to make mistakes, because as it is a physical book, we can't just send out a patch or an update. <laughs> we need to get it sort of right. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned you had to do this uh, process for the windows. Were there any other parts that had to be invented for this? Uh, we, you can say this time the, the Hulk figure, we've never made Hulk with a, a head that can actually turn. And, and it's a figure that we've developed actually to do Thanos in, in a few of the other sets. So we had to do a matching wig uh, for him. So so that that had to be done for this as well. 
um, I think it makes a ton of sense. You say, then I then I read some of the fans and now notices because it's Hulk that he's got four studs on his back, and and they are a bit Hulk, uh, uh, strange when it's Hulk. And of course that's right. It's also such a unique Lego trademark uh, that that we do have those tiny attachment points. And I think if you're displaying someone fighting Hulk, you can actually have some of the Chitari hanging off. <laughs> almost being kicked off him so so i think it it serves a purpose but but i get why who would want to have a stud implanted on their shoulder or or, or back I, I get that it, it, it makes sense it's from a toy perspective that's why that's why we put it in i think it's important for everyone to remember that these are also to be played with and and to have fun with but i think that's also what this does uh i i think because the um, the Avengers Tower is such an iconic building. It, I actually think that a lot of kids and adults will be doing this together because it is a way of connecting to stories we know. And, that, and, and let's be honest, that, that's, how, that's how people connect. We connect through stories and things we do together. So, so I think it, that, that there's, there is a, there's a beautiful family moment there's a there's a beautiful experience here that you can share with others and and i think that's that's all what the fandom is about actually i like this product <laughs> that's good i i really do <laughs> i'm glad uh you mentioned you know this the size i want to reiterate for our listeners it's 90 centimeters which is about 35 and a half uh inches tall um you know when obviously the the you know, the process for putting this together, you talked about the iterations, the little things, the things that change. But even if you're changing that by, I'm sure I would imagine a few centimeters, a few inches, that takes a whole rethinking of the engineering, it, uh, you know. Was yes. It yes, especially because the front is leaned in. So so for, for that angle to add up with, with your, yes, it, it, it changes uh, everything. But, but, but again, I'm almost saying we've got a team of superheroes working on it. There's a lot of people that then step into it and, and help. And, and we've got some super talented graphic designers as well to do all of the stickers to make sure that we get a bit of the feeling right. That That's that's also what it is. Uh, and fine-tune all of the minifigures. And, and you can say, I think that's... I believe we've got two records in this. I th I think it's the set with most minifigures now, and, and the highest set that at least we've done yeah. so far. Which I mean makes sense. Do you have a favorite minifigure from this set? Uh, yeah, of course I do. I, I, uh, Kevin Feige is my favorite <laughs> minifigure, but that's because we never ever did him, uh, and we. To me, it's a fun homage. Uh, that that's what it is. It's a small tribute. It's for the fans. But it's also for Kevin. It, it's it's sort of a thank you to Kevin. That that's what we put in. Yeah, I, you know, there, there's so much in the set. But what is the, what is the process to actually narrow it down to figure out what to put in to figure out what is enough, what is too much? How what are those conversations like? But but you say to a large extent, it's it's actually trying to. We look through all the movies, of course we do, and we try to see. What is the key scenes that we would love people to be able to find in this? And you can say, luckily, luckily, the Avengers have been back to the Avengers Tower quite a few times, uh, also time traveling. And that's also why it, it's a bit, to us, it's a bit fun that, that you can have the same character more than once and representing it in, in different times. And, and that it, 
it still makes sense. I I think that's a that's a super plus in in this as well. And you say then then it becomes a list of what is it we can, what can we put in that makes sense and what can people recognize, uh, because that's also the thing that, that, that it's a bit like when you're playing hide and seek. If no one finds you, did you win or did you lose? I think you actually lost. <laughs> and it's a bit the same when we're trying to put something in. If no one recognizes it, then we then no one found us and, <laughs> and we lost. <laughs> Can you describe some of these these specific scenes that you you, you all were, were really? Oh, but but, but there, there, there's a there's a lot. You say America's ass in, is in there, and now you probably have to bleep me. And I and I think that is super fun. Uh, and and probably on that 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 is probably the one that really makes me smile. Then also you we've got we've got Tony Stark being chased by his suit, uh, hanging on the outside. I really like that as well because it's such a tiny little build detail. Uh, so so that so, there, there's a lot. There, there's so much, and in all of the stickers, there's a lot. You say there was there's the place where. Uh, where Hulk uh, smacked uh, Loki and 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 said puny god that we've got that bit as well, so 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 there's there's a there's a ton of of tiny things. So the, the research for this, I imagine, is was really difficult. Uh, did you just have the Avengers films on loop in 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 your spaces? I, but but that, no kidding, that's that's what we we do. We we try to then and then freeze a frame and say, okay, what is it? Then we can see here and then try to interpret that in. In, in in a legal in a legal way of course we work super close with uh with you guys on 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 it so so we also sent stuff for for reference even stuff that we can't find in books or online so 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 we're getting a lot of help yeah it's uh you know storytelling is such a, a core tenet for for us but you know talking with you and you know i i understand it cuz i i have been building lego sets since i was Five, probably five or six years old, but I, you know, Lego storytelling seems like such a, a core tenant of of why you do what you do and what why you make the things that you make. I, but I, but I think you're right. I, but I, I think to a large extent, there's a big overlap. You could say uh, stories about superheroes is it's actually stories about great trouble and how to overcome them. It, 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 it's and, and I think in that story arc, although we keep hearing it in different variants, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of hope in being in dire in, in dire problems and actually getting it resolved. And, and I think that's that's super unique. And I think uh, when when doing toys, I think that's also a archetypical story. I, I think that I think every kid needs a superhero. I, honestly, I do. So, so I, I think there's something about trying to trust that you can be more than you are. So that story we happily retell. I think what Lego probably does extra on that is that the fact that it's a toy and the fact that it's such a stylized thing, it takes some of the scary bits out of it. You could say a Leviathan can be a super scary thing but a Leviathan made of Lego is less scary than that. Uh, I, I I think it, it. I think there's something in the translation to to a Lego language that makes some of these things less scary and 
and probably more kid appropriate and probably a bit more humoristic as well because then then you realize that this tiny bit that looks a bit like a rib is actually not a rib but it could have been a sausage or it could, <laughs> there, there's a there, there's a lot of tiny details that you're getting from from that and i and i think it is a way of connecting uh, and now we're almost coming full circle it, it's a bit of connecting to, to the same story but also to the people so connecting with your kids by letting them enter the universe you love. And that's where I think stories also fuel play. We start from something we know, and then it goes. Then it goes crazy from that point, but we need to start somewhere where we know we're in, in approximately the same world. Um, uh, getting back to to the Avengers Tower set, you know, I was also thinking you six, seven years that you've been you've been doing these sets and the Infinity Saga and, and all the different things that that Lego and Marvel have have done together. How do you when you were building and come conceptualizing the, the Avengers Tower, how do you look at those previous elements and honor those those pieces, those sets, those minifigs, while also making sure that the Avengers Tower itself stands on its own as this but, unique special but, thing. But you say it, it, it has to start the other way around. It has to start from the product we're making needs to be the primary thing. Then the references, that's a layer deeper. Although there is a container that is the same as on the Daily Bugle in the back of the Avengers Tower, we can't start by designing the container. Someone put that in as a uh, reference a bit later in the process. It has to start with the with the core thing, because otherwise we drown in in tiny things where we need to get the broad strokes right first, and and we weed out a lot. Uh, we because this we need to focus a bit. I think that's a bit of the problem as well with something this big that that there's so many ideas, and and we can't fit them all. So so we need to take one out there, and 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 you say that. There's, again, there's a ton of tiny details. Like we've got, I really like that we've got Vision in and he's partly transparent because you can see him almost loading as a figure. <laughs> Is anyone going to know? I'm not quite sure. We might have put that in just because we like the idea that this is a minifigure loading, although it's frozen in a physical form. But I, I think that's, part of the the success that's part of the the beauty of of this there's those little details are the things that i think as 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 our listeners our fans as families start building this they they'll find a copy of avengers number one um maybe or or a little pager for captain marvel or villains or different things i mean that is part of why it's so special and why it will become something that people will take their time and go, oh man, that was the coolest. Yeah, and you say then it, then it has a bit of the, a thing like this feels like the toy I would have wanted as a kid. So you could say for a lot of us, it is sort of designing the toy for the kids we were, hoping that it also fits kids of today i i think that that's generally also one of the the things that we we keep doing jesper this was a delight uh thank you and the team for the amazing lego marvels but, Avengers but, but this is this is to a large extent how it is i do the blah 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 
someone else did all of the real magic. And that, that that's so important to know. We appreciate it, nonetheless. Ryan, I've never wanted that many Legos or something that was literally the height of a toddler in my house so bad. I know. I know. All right, time for our community section, a.k.a. This Week in Messages. Uh, Thinking about that, our guest next week is Amanda Diebert, author of Rocket and Groot, The Hunt for Star-Lord graphic novel for kids. So here's the thing. Mm. Uh, What I love about this book is it explores Rocket and Groot's friendship. And one of the most contentious questions in Mm. the entire galaxy, Mm. where is the best pizza now look man pizza is very important to everybody i think this is a great thing but also it had me thinking like pizza is a thing you share with friends like this is the first time we've seen pizza like spider-man's had pizza like we've gone to pizza joints like pizza's a thing in the marvel galaxy yeah pizza is is the great unifier if you will so with that in mind we want to know for our question of the week what Marvel characters would you love to share a pizza with? And bonus points if you tell us what kind of pizza you want it to be. Mm. I'm going to go real simple. Kate Bishop and Pizza Dog. I mean, that's classic. So Maybe a little bit like America on the side. But I feel like you got to be careful with the pizza because if you get the wrong person with the pizza, you'll end up talking more than eating. (laughs) Uh, I want to share pizza with namor and i want him to pick the toppings does he go with like anchovy or is there kelp on this pizza i don't know how i feel about this (laughs) or does he go like he just wants like sausage and bacon and he's like like straight up like namor just going like like a like a carnivore pizza i don't know those are our answers again we want to know what marvel character do you want to share a pizza with and what kind of pizza? You can send your answers to us on social media, threads, Instagram, whatever. Uh, you can at me at, at Agent M. You can use hashtag This Week in Marvel if the platform uses hashtags. You can send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. The best way, though, is to email us at twimpodcast at marvel.com. Please make sure to tell us it is okay to read Twim on the show so we can read it on the show. And speaking of answers, we have your answers from last week's question of the week. What are your favorite marble Lego sets or minifigs? This is a good question. We got a uh, a great couple of posts from our pal Mountain Meg. And Meg said, the This Week in Marvel question is my favorite Marvel Lego set. And the answer is the one my six-year-old son and I just completed. It's the Hoopty, Captain Marvel ship in Marvel Studios, the Marvels. It was such a fun build from minifigs to Fleur Kittens to amazing little interior details. But the best part of all was the time spent building it together during the holiday week. Higher, further, faster, together. I adore this movie and this special set that reminds me of Carol, Kamala, and Monica's epic adventures. And now... It's time to work on Mjolnir. And she posted a picture of her with a uh, Lego Mjolnir. It was great. Meg, man. All right. Oh. Feelings. Uh, We have an email from, oh, Heather, Fiona, and Nolan. They wrote in to say, 
We love Marvel Lego, though admittedly, we have more experience with Lego movies, Code Red is amazing, and the video games, Lego Marvel Superheroes 1 and 2. My favorite minifig is Loki with a variant jacket, TVA mug, and Throg. Fiona's favorite minifig is What If Gamora and the Double-Edged Sword. Nolan's favorite minifig is Moon Knight and Mr. Knight also. Ryan has once again joined his games. Below is the minifig he has made of Agent M cosplaying as Iron Man while taking a selfie at Comic-Con. Very on brand, Nolan. There's pictures. Um, I, oh, I, I these are just delightful. To share it out. I like the curl waff. You I know like what? Curl it's a well perfect done. hair and face and like expression for me as a minifig. We also got an email from Ben, and Ben said, I'm a Star Wars Lego man myself, but my son has a growing collection of Marvel Lego, including a nearly complete collection of the character mechs, including Iron Man, Hulk, Rocket, Thanos, Black Panther, and Wolverine. I love these sets because they're a ton of fun to play with, and you can swap out the legs, arms, minifigs, and other parts to create unholy super mech combos like Infinity Hulk with Wolverine Claws. Keep clicking those brick. Uh, ben, you should sign all your emails from now on with keep clicking those brick because it is fantastic. Love those. Those are very, very cool. Oh, and guess what, Ryan? We have one more surprise for all of the amazing folks who are listening this week. There's a Marvel Insider Code. Yeah, you can receive 5,000 Marvel Insider points when you enter the Marvel Insider Code AVENGERS in the This Week in Marvel podcast code redeem activity at marvel.com slash insider. Again, that code is AVENGERS. Limited number of redemptions available. One redemption code per Marvel Insider. And Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents 18 plus older. Terms apply. Mm-hmm. You know what else applies, Ryan? What's that? Time. Time marches on, and we're going to get out of here. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Jasmine Estrada, Isabel Robertson, Angelique Rocher, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager, audio production and development, is Brad Barton. Emily Godfrey is our production manager. Special thanks to Fleur Kittens. Every single week, I'm just it's, it's always the Fleur Kittens. You know what? It always works. They're always the best. Bye, everybody. I'm Ryan. I'm Angelique. This is Marvel. Your universe.